We laugh. We cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Client Horror Stories. I am honored and excited to have with me today the one and only Amit Kava. Did I pronounce your name correctly, Amit? Yes, you did. You did. <laughs> Last episode I did, I mispronounced the person's name in the first time. I know. <laughs> oh, well. but I- It happens, you know. It's not, it wasn't out of malice, so it's okay. Not, not at all. Um, so, Amit, I'm very excited to hear your story today. And um, I love jumping right into the action. So I have my hot tea in hand and let's go. Tell us about your client horror story. Uh, my client horror story is from... Seven years ago, I'm going to say 2015. Yeah, that would have been seven years ago um, in technicality. Uh, so I was working for an agency uh, in Edmonton, loved it for the most part, but eventually at one point, you know, the politics kind of get in and then you start realizing that agencies aren't necessarily the best places to work sometimes. Uh, and I, I would always be constantly telling everybody in the office during our daily meetings about like how much I was billable the day before. And I remember always thinking that that made no logical sense. So I was like, this is kind of silly. Like I'm supposed to, like, I'm supposed to make change, massive changes in accounts for clients because I have to build time. Like it just never made sense to me. And I'm like, or I can just fudge the numbers and sit there and be like, I was staring at Google analytics for four hours. Let me bill you for that time. Like it was just a ridiculous billing system on my, like from what I thought um, cause I do understand that hourly does have its place, but in this case, it just like, wasn't it, or at least I don't believe it was. Okay. Uh, so eventually at one point or another, it just became this thing that was just eating away at me and I really couldn't do it anymore. So I, I, decided- I, I just want to pause for a second and discuss that because the question of hourly billing is very interesting philosophically because it kind of puts any professional at odds with their client because the clients fundamentally want good work for the lowest price, but any professional wants to, wants to build the most hours. So what's, there's an interesting tension that that's set up is before you even do any work is like, yeah. is a little bit like a time bomb. It is, and especially if you're selling a certain amount of hours, I think that's where I have the issue. Like hourly has its place for sure. And I know there's some people in the PPC community that do hourly work and it works really well for them, but they do, billing after the fact, right? So they'll do the work in January, figure out how many hours were put in and then they'll bill the client for that. In this case, the agency was selling five hours up front, billing them for that. And then I had to be the person to use those five hours. Otherwise we were, we we looked like we were scamming them, but really in reality, we kind of were anyways by making work up to fill those five hours. And that's why I don't really like the idea of hourly work if we're talking about it in uh, pre-selling them afterwards. All, by all means, go ahead, knock yourself out, make your hourly rate super duper high, 
you know, that way you're actually getting compensated for your experience at, at the same time and not necessarily like um, getting, giving away great work for free-ish, right? right. Um, but in this case, it just did not work for me. I just hated the idea of it. So I prefer retainer when I'm doing um, billing for our agency, just because okay. it's easy. I hate invoicing, so I can set up a reoccurring thing. Uh, if we go over the hours, then that's my problem. If we go under the hours, great. I made a little bit of extra cash, but eventually at one point or another, when you actually really look at the time logs at the end of the year, it all equals to the same thing. So um, it really makes no difference uh, on my end. And then at least the client is, knows exactly how much they're spending every single month. Um, it's a bit more predictable on our end as well. Allows me to make decisions for the business that I can't otherwise if we're working on an hourly basis. But um, yeah, not to not to shit on hourly. I, it definitely has its place. It's just it doesn't work for me. Uh, so going through that with that agency, I really just hated the idea. So then I eventually decided to go freelance and actually just become a contractor for that agency. And that lasted maybe two weeks. And then we were like, this doesn't work because I'm just like, I, I'm a horrible employee. And I know that about myself. Like I'm that person who will uh, sit around and do my job and put my head down and like just completely just like uh, annihilate any benchmark that might be out there. I, and then afterwards, I'll get to a point where I know that I can't be replaced. And then my ego gets a little too big. And admittedly, I was in my 20s when this was happening. So maybe it'd be a little bit different in my 30s. I, I don't know. I can't really say. But in my 20s, I had like a really massive ego because in my city, I was one of the very few people who did pay-per-click. And really at that one point, PPC became a meat cabra. That was it. Like that, nobody knew anything outside of that. So naturally, if you're in your mid-20s, you're gonna, your head's going to get pretty large really at one point or another. Uh, and that's exactly what had happened to me. So I got to a position where I was able to tell my bosses to go fuck themselves. And like really directly to their faces, exactly like this, and then come back to work the next day. Uh, to the like, even at one point, I got up. I got annoyed by the construction. I got up, packed my bag, and went home and emailed them. And I'm like, I'm not coming back to the office. I'll be working from home until further notice. Uh, and they like literally the day before told everybody that no one was allowed to do that. So like, uh, I really exercised my power <laughs> in all of these situations and I very quickly realized that I was just a horrible employee I'm just not meant to work under somebody um I like the the autonomy of being able to leave halfway through my day and go for a walk or go see my niece and my nephew for a couple hours and then make up that time later where other employers are just like no you work from nine and then you end at five that kind of routine doesn't work for me I'm just I I like living freely if that makes any sense I just like fluttering around and doing whatever I want whenever I want um, so this works a lot better for me, but like, I didn't know that at that time. So I was, um, a problem and willing to admit that I was a little bit of a problem. So eventually we decided to do that contract that, that didn't work because they were expecting me to stay within like the hours. And I was not doing that. I was a little bit of a night owl back in the day. So I'd stay up until like two, three o'clock in the morning, finish my work. But obviously when they need answers in the middle of the day and I'm sleeping, that doesn't work for them and I totally understood that so I quickly decided obviously can't freelance for these guys have to start finding my own clients and then a friend of mine called me one day and she's like yeah I was just uh, at my accountant's office right now and uh, he was talking about how he needs uh, ads and stuff like that because she was going over what she did for a living so she was uh, content so a writer 
Uh, so she was telling him, this is what I do. And then he started talking about how he needed digital marketing help. So she calls me and puts me on the phone with him, like right that second. And he's like, yeah, come by tomorrow, tonight, whenever the heck you want. Let's talk about what you have to offer. Um, obviously I'm super stoked. Like, oh my God, I finally, I got a, I didn't even have to try. I got a lead. Um, uh, I told one friend that I was freelancing and that was the end of it. Uh, so I walk into this tax office and, um, sit down with him and he's super nice and, and, and very polite for the most part. Uh, and he starts going over what he's looking for in terms of help. And at this point, I'm the PPC girl, but I've somehow morphed into a full service agency, uh, right? Like literally sitting right in front of him. I'm like, yes, uh, we do it all. I, yeah, we can totally do it everything. Um, so he's like, I need a new website. I want new content. I need social media, PPC, SEO. And I'm like, yep. Yeah we've got it. It's all good. You know, I can do it. It's fine. It's totally fine. Uh, and that, uh, and then whenever I quoted him prices, he never pushed back. He just said, okay, that was the end of it. And I was like, oh, this is freaking amazing. Like, how did I get so lucky? <laughs> how did I get so lucky? Um, that's an interesting statement afterwards. Luck, um, <laughs> luck works in, in mysterious ways. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's kind of funny to think about it, but, um, yeah, so then we we signed the agreements, we did all that stuff, and it was great. And in between all of it, uh, he would start talking and telling me about experiences that he had with other agencies. And at one point, he had very distinctly told me about how he had uh, wasn't happy with the work that the last agency had done. So he had complained so much and had basically threatened a bad review that they gave him like three months for free of services or something like that. And he was like, you could tell that he was just so proud of himself for doing that. And for whatever reason, that did not register in my head. I just kind of took it as a funny story, kept on going, signing the documents, uh -oh. walked out. But now uh, in retrospect. Yeah, I, I saw the red flags. I just uh, ignored them, basically, which was a uh, great just, fun. Just, just to call it out, this yeah. is one of the most common red flags that has come up in many episodes before, mm -hmm. where when clients complain about the previous professional they hired before you it's a mass it's a massive red flag and um and it's especially strong when it's more than one that they that they've complained about one whatever exactly. you might hire a bad professional but if there's a whole string of bad professionals the problem might not be the professionals but you yeah and that was the thing that i ended up learning from that experience was uh pay attention to what people are saying because i think people who um get things from other people by complaining and doing those empty threats type of side of things they're very proud of themselves they basically show you that and I think it's even just part of uh like kind of human psychology in the sense that they're like can I get caught like I you know how like those there's all those um documentaries on ser serial killers where like this mother <laughs> this might be going too far but this mother basically drowned her children and it was like sometime in the 80s and she was on TV and she sat there and she was like, obviously looking like she was distraught. Who did this to her? My children, all of this stuff. But then when you watched her, you saw the corner of her mouth go up as if she was smiling, thinking that she got away with it. And that's when I started realizing, I'm like, I think it's in our nature to like want to be caught, but we get the thrill of not. Like it's almost, it's, I, I can't quite explain it. And it's almost like that when I, every time I've ever encountered um, a red flag client, they're pretty open about it, but they believe that they're not going to get caught in the sense that somebody's not going to catch on. 
So then they just keep on doing it and then they're very boastful about it. So that's how I've been able to pick it up where I'm like, let's talk about that last agency and let's see how, like what those emotions are. And that's how I'm able to gauge whether or not that client is actually going to make a good client for us or not. Cause like, even if it was a bad match, most of like, we had a call with one of our clients yesterday and he's gone through two or three agencies and they've all been a bad match, but not a single bad word came out of it. It was just like, they just didn't work for me. We tried, we failed we're trying again. We tried, we failed, we're trying again. And I remember sitting there and I was like, okay, like it was neutral in emotion. It was straight to the fact. And there was like literally no emotion involved. There was nothing there where he, you could sit there and be like, he's going to turn into a nightmare. It was, he understands that the tactics that they used did not work for him. And that was it. So then he just moved off to another agency. Versus all these other people who will sit there and give you more detail. Oh, they didn't do this. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And suddenly you can kind of see them kind of getting a little like amped up a little bit. And that's when you figure it out. You're like, okay, you might be the problem (laughs) because you're talking about these people as if they harmed you or hurt you in a way. Why do you feel that way? Like it must've been a really horrible relationship. And then you kind of have to unpack that because sometimes it could be the agency, right? Like I've heard of, fly by nighters all the time that have completely screwed people over and put them into like 10 year long contracts that they can barely get out of like ridiculous stuff that I can understand that emotion towards it but if it's in regards to the work that was completed that's usually kind of my my little sign of okay this is interesting I have a couple thoughts on this before we move on with the story first in every episode I try to get at least one new point that's never come up before and while it's a common, like people complaining about the previous agencies is a common reference book, you added a new nuance to it that I hadn't heard before that I really like, which is this type of person that not just had a bunch of bad experiences, but is like proud of it and purposely tries to like to squeeze people to the max and identifying that that, that actually hasn't come out before. And, and, um, and I, I really like it because it's a bit, there's like someone that's kind of just, is just like micromanages, bad client, but it's this, there's another level of it where like, I like your, your like mom that murders the children with a secret smile. You can like see that smile in the corner where, um, where, where, where you can see coming out. And that is um, like, that is the worst kind of client and it's, harder to look for it and it's actually more subtle like you have to be able to notice that smile in the corner in in, in order to do that and after I saw that video I got really obsessed into like human behavior and like uh body language and stuff like that so now it's gotten to the point where like you'll twitch and I'm like why exactly did you do that and during that mid-sentence like random stuff like that and now it's easier for me to pick up when people are lying because of the way their eyes are shifting or something like it's it's interesting, but also kind of a nightmare all at the same by, time. <laughs> by the way, if you, I've never heard of this video, but now I want to watch it. If you send me a link to it, I can add it to the notes for this podcast episode. I'll try to find it. It's yeah, I'll try to find it. It's uh, it's kind of creepy. It's kind of creepy. I, I like, <laughs> but um, but I one other comment I want to make, and then we'll get back to the story, mm-hmm. which is this this type of person that like that prides himself on like ripping people off and so on there's the way i describe that type of person because like i don't know an english word to describe this this characteristic but i'll just share with you and everyone watching us how i describe it which is i'm jewish and 
historically, there are two different ethnic groups and uh, there are two different groups of Jews historically, the Jews that lived in Europe and then who are called the Ashkenazim and the Jews that lived in the Arabic world who are called the Sephardim. And it's like the same religion, it's the same customs, but they have very different cultures. And basically when you think of the stereotypical Jewish academic intellectual philosopher buried in books, winning a Nobel prize, those are like the European Jews. But when you think of like the Jews that's like selling the used car, trying the businessman that's trying to squeeze everyone for a dollar, like figuring out how to rip people up to make millions of dollars. Those are the Sephardi and the Jews, the, the Jews from the, the Arabic world. And like in Jewish culture, there's just so like this exact type of person is like the canonical or stereotypical Sephardi or Jew or, 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 Jew, or Jew from the Arabic world. I know so, so many Sephardi Jews who, for, for example, insist that the correct price for anything they ever buy, product or service, is 50% of the quoted price. So anything, so anything that will be quoted or price, no matter what it is, and they'll just like fight tooth and nail to the death, like they're being ripped off until they get near the halfway point. It just makes no sense to me. Like it's like, and and and, and knowing a lot of people like that, the interesting thing is trying to model their mind, and often they see it as a game. They don't need a, they don't need those ten cents. It's it's just like part of the challenge of squeezing of squeezing everyone to the max. Yeah, it basically is. I mean, I would like it's like those uh, coupon or the couponing women or men that like <laughs> literally can get it. Like they can get the store to pay them. Like that's a game. That's not that's not out of love. That's, that's love. a game. That's like you're literally studying these things and going, how do I rig the system? And you're doing an amazing, if you can convince, not even convince, you can actually like get a, a grocery store to remit money to you while you're walking out with hundreds of dollars of product, uh, props to you. I don't know how to do it. I wish I did. I I'm, like, I I'm like you. I'm the bookish right. intellectual one. <laughs> not not the one squeezing everyone yeah i'm not that like i wish i was that kind of smart sometimes but i'm like damn i'd have so much more money <laughs> i'd also have a full garage of just toilet paper too but like you know <laughs> totally it would be amazing i think it would be amazing but it's just like really funny just to come across with these, these people who like actually really believe that they can get away with it and this was the same case with him uh, so like basically what ended up happening is he uh, signed the contract in December. I took over a PPC right away. December is a slow month. Who in the world is thinking about taxes during Christmas? I, like literally nobody. And that was my fault for not recognizing that and being like, maybe we should start January 1st instead of December 15th or whatever the date was. Um, and then like quickly I got phone calls or emails going oh my calls are down and I was like I haven't even made changes in your account yet how are your calls down um and he's like no they're always like this it's always we always get this many every single day where, where are they and I'm like uh, I have no idea and then eventually I'm like well it's Christmas too so like relax a little bit uh, and then eventually at one point he had just complained so much for so many days that within 18 days I actually ended up going you know what I'm just gonna stop doing your PPC We'll finish the rest of the project. I won't bill you for the PPC work that I did. It is what it is and called it a day. Uh, so then we went into doing the website, content, social media and all that stuff. And he had paid all the deposits that I had asked for immediately. And that's like the other part of it is when you like are willing to pay right away. 
it's kind of interesting. Like we'll sit there and say, oh my God, these clients are the most amazing, but it's the ones that are moving a little too quick sometimes are a little bit of a sign because they're just kind of almost like you get wrapped up in, or at least this is what it came off to me with this person is if I can kind of distract you enough by paying you these deposits and get you working on everything right away, you maybe you'll ignore the red flags. Um, and that's exactly kind of what had happened in mine. Cause I just like, literally he went, uh, sign the, sign the agreement. Here's your check. And I just went, Oh, excellent. And I walked out and I was like, this was fantastic without actually realizing that he had told me all of these things that I should have been aware of. Or, me, me, yeah. you, this is, I've just had a moment of life realization that you led me to. I'm like entering a state of Nirvana all <laughs> here. So, so here, so I, I have to share this. So I, so, you know, I was just telling you about these like Sephardi Jews that like, that like they're being ripped off unless they pay half of the quoted price, no matter what the quoted price is. Mm -hmm. I'm related to one particular person like this, whose name shall not, whose name shall, or my relation to him shall not be used. And what's interesting is while he's like the cheapest person, fights me and tell, rips everyone off in like these worst sort of ways like this. I never understood how every single time he buys any service or pays or does anything, he insists on paying people immediately. Like that millisecond, like this pattern that you notice on him being paying too quickly is exactly the pattern in this one person. And to me, it was just this weird habit that I didn't wire it into. So I think your like, your sketchiness radar is now become so developed and awesome. I think it's very insightful to be like, it's because to, to connect. And I, I think psychologically to, to push your point, what I think is happening with these people is it's basically like a confidence trick or a confidence game that they pay you so fast, it, exactly so you would trust them. You would trust them disproportionately fast as well so they can, they can get on with the con very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what it like that like on reflection, that's what really it felt like where I was like, oh, he basically found a way to distract me. And it was money because I wasn't making any at that time. So I was super stoked to be able to walk out of an office with like fifteen hundred dollars or whatever the heck it was that the deposit was. Uh, so we went on and like did all of this work, finished the website. There was a couple pieces that were still missing, but we were waiting on him to provide like assets. And I remember the night was clear as day. It was like dark outside, um, must have been about 7 p.m. in like winter time, so January. Um, and I remember I'm sending him an email and he's going, there's an issue on the website. And I just go, okay, well, what is it? Uh, and he literally, his response was, if you can't figure out what the issue is, maybe you're not that good at your job or something like that. And I was like, okay, I've been staring at this thing for like days, if not weeks, all day, every day. Eventually, at one point or another, you're going to create a blindness to like what the issue might be. And that's why we use clients for feedback. Like, you're supposed to tell me where the issue is. And he just like literally refused. And I remember going, okay, well, then you can settle up the invoice, I guess. Like, I don't, what are we supposed to do here? And his response was uh, kind of somewhat similar to what he had actually said to those other agencies. And he went, see you in court. And I think for him, he was dealing with people who weren't the owner of that company every single time. So obviously a negative review or the threat of a lawsuit or something was massive enough that they were like, forget it, we'll just give you free work. Like 
let's just wash this under the rug where oh sorry so so let's so before this incredible that he threw for court but before we hear what happens i want to dissect for two minutes together this uh this uh, this phrase he used where it's like if you can't figure it out then uh then 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 you're not that good what's interesting to me in a few ways one of which is this he's an accountant and if i hire an accountant and he does my taxes and i just tell my accountant hey there's a problem with my taxes and the accountant says oh what is it and you say if you can figure it out you're not a good accountant like clearly in his own line of work in a millisecond he'll self-evidently realize that you're that that you're just being an asshole like to say that and not point him in and which is why he would clearly expect his clients to tell him, well, because a prominent your taxes could be a million different things. Like a prominent mm-hmm. on a website could be a, a million different things. Therefore, knowing that, he it had to be ingenuous when he said it, where where like the, the only thing he could like he could have meant is it in this way to purposely provoke you and purposely hurt, hurt you. Like in other words, there's I like giving even the biggest assholes the benefit of the doubt, but that's the sort of phrase where there's just no possible positive interpretation of it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those moments that I unfortunately, um, like in later ones, ended up internalizing that. And I think I still have to a certain degree, because I feel like I hear him in the back of my head sometimes, just ever so, you know, when like, I'm just having a really bad day. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it is what it is really at this point. Like I've moved on as much as I possibly could. Obviously some things are going to stick around a little bit longer, but he, yeah, he came back and said, see you in court. And I think, um, I think in every, I think when he saw me walk through the door, I think he saw like this little innocent looking South Asian woman and he was a South Asian man. So like he understood the dynamics between people and males. But no, I'm, I'm just really naive. What is a Salvation girl and what is a Salvation man? Uh, so Indian, so where I'm Punjabi, so he was also Punjabi. So, oh, t- just because I'm sorry for being naive on these things, yeah. Salvation means Punjabi. Uh, South Asian means like Indian, basically. Oh, like South whole- Asian. South I, Asian, yes. <laughs> I think that Salvation, like it's <laughs> South- a, like a Christian sect, and I'm like Seventh Day Christ Adventist <laughs> Resurrection is like the Salvation. Group, no, of, no. <laughs> of course I know the word South Asian. It's just your Canadian accent is getting to me. So got sorry. it, got it, got it. So, oh, sorry. Man. Okay. No, totally fair. Um, yeah, so he was South so we, Asian. So was not I. Salvation. So am I. He's not South, Salvation, South Asian. South Asian, yes. I'll try to enunciate a little bit more. But <laughs> I need to learn this like Vancouver accent or Edmonton. Edmonton it's a hybrid of many different cities at least two or three two or three Edmonton Vancouver I did some time in Kelowna so you know I think people tend to have their accent for where they live when you're 13 where did you live when you were 13 oh I was in Surrey when I was 13 Surrey yes good old Surrey yep (laughs) right outside Vancouver Yes, and then I literally just jumped over to this other side, but I'm like, I'm never coming back. And then eventually uh, everybody decided to have kids and get married. And then I was like, I guess I have no choice now. I want to be around for all of that. So I was like, thanks, guys. Like, you guys went and moved on with your lives, and now you're making me come home. 
<laughs> but um yeah it's uh yeah it the the dynamics are usually like the men are you know the men of the house and they're the ones who control everything and all of that stuff the women are supposed to be submissive they don't say anything they don't argue kind of very typical with a lot of other cultures really at this point um and I think he was banking on that I really feel like he was banking on that that I would just like whimper and just walk away and be like forget it like this is um not worth it like there's no nothing for me to do uh and um what he didn't realize is that I was in BNI at that point so there was a civil claims agent that actually was in BNI with me and I literally wait, wait, wait. you're in BNI is this another South Asian thing or am I misunderstanding no, so BNI is a business oh, what is it business networking uh some some I see you're in a networking organization yeah it was a business networking thing I, I think it's all across North America but I'm not I'm pretty sure it's North America. Um, somebody had suggested that I try it out and I was like, hey, cool, whatever. For me, it didn't really work out, but um, I at but, least met Wayne, who was the civil claims agent. So uh, wait, while but, he's having... Oh. Be, before you tell us about the civil claims court, another comment I think, separate from both of you being South Asian, it could also be your young girl. How old were you at this time? I would have been probably about 25. The 20s right so so i think just by being a mid-20s girl like just like everyone it's like it, it, this the stereotype is those are the easiest people to push over start yeah. and so so as as a result it's like it's sort of like when you think about like the 50 year old war vet who beats people up and has seen everything dirty under the sun you don't want to rip off that guy but on the other hand, like the cute young girl, you do so. So that also like heightens the risk factor for uh, people trying to trying to take advantage of your professional services. Yeah, and I think that was exactly. I think when he saw me, he realized that there was an, I was an easy target. Uh, so I kind of went off and you know tried my best to do what I could, and obviously it didn't work out. So I, like I'm thinking about seven. 8 p.m. at night I'm texting mm-hmm. Wayne going this is what's happening and he literally leaves his family dinner that he has with his family once a week and calls me and he's just like I uh what happened and I was like here are all the details I have all the contracts I, here's the email communication like I don't what am I supposed to do here and he literally goes don't worry I've got it handled and I was like okay the next morning literally the next morning there was a lawsuit waiting for that client <laughs> For the amount that he owed me, which was probably, I think about maybe $4,000, I want to say, five, somewhere around there. Um, and it was absolutely, it was like probably like, like my shining moment where I was like, yeah, I'm like, you said, see you in court 12 hours later, here's your lawsuit. See you in court. Like, I don't, what am I supposed to do here? Right. Um, and then they have, uh, so the way that works in Alberta, maybe in Canada, but I know it how works in Alberta this way, where um, if you are filed like a civil claims um lawsuit you have 21 days to answer basically you can either counter sue or decide to go to mediation uh he decided to counter sue because the class act you know <laughs> why not um, and he decided to come for me for the maximum amount for civil claims which was fifty thousand dollars in lost <laughs> revenue and I was like, as an accountant, I'm pretty sure you know that it's incredibly illegal to cook your books. So how exactly are you planning to prove that there was $50,000 lost in the span of 45 days? Like, 
I don't, I don't, I highly doubt you're making $50,000 every single month. Like I just, I couldn't get my head around it. I was like close to it, maybe, but all like, you can't sit there and be like, I was the reason why your entire business tanked over a month. Like that made no sense to me. Uh, and I remember sitting there and I mean, I laugh about it now. So it's just like you idiot, but like when you're 25 and you, this is like your first venture into freelancing and like your entire confidence hinges on your career at this point, like it's soul crushing. It's incredibly soul crushing. So you're just, I was just sitting there, not all of these deals, but like I started doing cold emailing to try to get more clients and stuff. And I was actually getting through the door with a couple people and all of them had requested proposals that looked like it was going to go through. And then all of a sudden when the counter lawsuit came in, like my entire confidence had shattered so far that like I couldn't figure out how to close them. So I ended up losing all of these deals, which would have been a slam dunk otherwise because I just couldn't get to a place where I was like confident in my skill set. Cause I was like, this man just literally said, I'm not good at my job. And now his counter sued me for $50,000. Like, like, what do you, like, I don't know how else I was supposed to feel in that moment. I, I also think what happens is for people who are not lawyers, getting a lawsuit freaks you out. Oh my God, the government can come, come and take away my bank accounts and put me in jail. And I have to pay lawyers millions of dollars an hour. So, so it's, it's fundamentally just a, a really scary moment. It is. And it was just like kind of funny because when I read through the counter suit, like it was just him pulling random stuff from my website, like helping small businesses grow. And he's like, this is a claim. And I'm like, how? <laughs> Don't we all say that? Like, it's, it's not guaranteed. And there's also a no guarantee in the agreement that you signed. Like, are you, it was just one of those really ridiculous moments where you think about it now and you're like, yeah, he really was like kind of not fully there and was really just trying to pick a fight and then figure it out who he was battling with. Cause like, thankfully my dad loves to argue and I am very <laughs> much like my dad. Uh, and my mother is a bit of a, a firecracker. Like I, I admittedly most days than not, I think these are the worst qualities that I could have gotten from them. But at the same time, they're kind of the best qualities that I got from them as well. Because like nobody pushes me around. My family, like I could just use my family as the example. None of the older generation or like the parents or the uncles or the aunts ever say anything to me because they know that I will like say something back where they'll go up to everybody else and be like, oh, you look fat today. Oh, you should get married. You should do this. You should do that. And I'm like, what are you going to come for me for? Let's talk about that today. <laughs> and like, they know that I'll cut, like literally just air out every piece of dirty laundry that I have on them because I, I don't know how I get this information. I really don't, but I do. I have a lot of information on everybody. I don't <laughs> understand. It just comes. I just, I don't even go looking for it. It just comes to me. It's like, it's meant to be here. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll take it. I will try to forget it. But like, they know that like, there's random little things that I could say. So then they just don't bother saying anything. And I love the fact, and it's really funny now because I, I was talking to my sister-in-law about it because I'm like, having people fearful of you is probably better. And she literally sat there and was like, no, I'd rather have everybody like me. And I'm like, okay, well, then everyone's going to keep on fucking with you. I'll see you on the other side. And I remember one night and I said that, and then two nights later, she was like, it'd be really nice if people were scared. And I was like, huh, interesting how your tune has changed two days later. And then she just sat there, looked at me. She's like, damn it. And I was like, I was right. I'm like, it's much better. I'm like, I'm still likable. People still like me, but they just don't, they know that there's a certain boundary that they can't cross. And they know that they're going to get like, you know, this pit bull that's going to come right at them if they cross it. So I'm like, where's the harm in that? It's like a little bit of a, a balancing act. 
Um, and I he didn't know that at that time. This this argument, what you're doing is you're reframing the classic Machiavellian insight of would you rather be feared or loved? And um, and my my take is it comes to the same conclusion as you and Machiavelli. And I'd say I'd say Machiavelli is very underrated. He's getting a bad rap these days, but but you're making the core Machiavellian argument, which I definitely agree with. Um, my framing would be that people being scared of you is a matter of survival, while people liking you is a matter of quality of life. I'd rather have everyone like me. It's a nicer life, but you have to put survival first because mm-hmm. uh, because like if they're not scared, it's, you, you'll be too easy to be taken advantage of. Exactly. And I can't even tell you how many rooms I've been like laughed out of in like, especially when I was starting my career where people would be like, oh, you're trying to start an agency like, oh, that's so cute. And I was like, okay, one day my name, hearing my name is going to make you tremble in your boots. And now I feel like it has to a certain degree. Admittedly, yes, we're not a huge agency, but are we taking all of the clients from other agencies that sat around saying that they were so much better than me? Yep, 100%. And one by one, I will destroy you. It's not going to be a thing that's going to happen in like a month or two, but over the years, trust me, I'm going to be part of the reason for your downfall. And like, (laughs) I just, it's just really funny to me because I'm just like, like I had to become like, have to have thicker skin because one, like there weren't a lot of females, especially when I was starting um, in the industry and you were, that were minorities. So like I was already kind of at a disadvantage to a certain degree because a lot of people were just like, oh, you know what? There's that that Caucasian man right there, he'll do the job. And I'm like, but I'm going to end up white labeling. So that account's going to come to me anyway. Like, just give it to me and like directly do it. And nobody would ever, like, they would find out afterwards. So they would be like, oh, you were in the account. And I'm like, yeah, what tipped you off? My name? Under their email address? Like, I don't know how else to tell you these things. Like, it was always, I was always the one who was white labeled underneath these agencies that were competing against me and they would win every single time. And I do understand that they had bigger names. They were in business a lot longer. But at the same time, I feel like the, my gender and my race kind of played a little bit of a factor, not entirely, but I think it did. And I think knowing that made me have to walk in to a room with much more confidence and a bit more aggressive. So I do understand that sometimes I can be a lot for people when I walk into a place and go, okay, well, let's get ready for like, cause I'm always ready for a fight basically. Right. Like I had to be, my twenties was basically all survival at that point. Like I was constantly getting called names by random people or people saying that I couldn't do it or, you know, like just kind of laughing at me when I'd walk into like industry events and I'm like, okay, I, I ate my shit. Like I had to, but like now you're going to have to like I'll be the one serving it to you and it's really a satisfying feeling now to be able to do that but like um this lawsuit was part of it was kind of like that starting point for me where I'm like oh okay like you can't actually be this sweet innocent person like as much as I want it to be because it just doesn't work that way like the world unfortunately is wonderful but also kind of shitty all at the same time you have to play both sides of it so like with that fear and love side of things, it's the same thing. Like the world is great and the world is shitty. So you kind of need both for that balance. So, yeah, I don't know what tangent I was going off on on that one, but. <laughs> no, it's uh, in- insightful. I love it. So, so you served him back the next day and then, yes. oh, and then he countersued within 20 days, within 21, 21 days. days for $50,000 
And then... And then it kind of caused this whole ripple effect in my life, unfortunately. And it was, uh, frankly, the worst. I Like, I still believe it was the worst year of my life. I learned quite a bit, but, like, it was still the worst year of my life. So I ended up um, starting to get sharp pains in my chest and all of these random things. Um, some mornings I wouldn't even be able to, like, get up because, like, my shoulders would be in so much pain. Like, I physically couldn't push myself up. Like, I would end up having to stay in bed. Um, and I had my dogs at that time, and I hate that I have to, like, no, I don't have to admit it, but I hate that I admit it, that I don't genuinely know what happened to them during like three months. Like there's a whole period where I've basically blacked out. Um, they're fine now. They're healthy. They're sitting right in front of me and totally like happy and stuff. But like, I could not tell you if you were to ask me, like, were you feeding them on time, taking them out on regular walks? I, I couldn't answer that question at all because um, I genuinely have literally no idea uh, so eventually at one point, obviously I went to my doctor and I was like, I'm having these sharp pains, like literally all up my upper body. Sometimes I can't get out of bed. Like what the heck is going on? And she took me to a lot of tests. So I used to do like, she was like looking at my heart a lot and she was like, is there something wrong? And I was like, I, you're the one who's supposed to be telling me, I don't know. Um, and then eventually she sent me to blood work and they realized that I was actually diabetic pretty severely. Like borderline probably could have died if I kept on going that way. Uh, and she calls me like seven times one morning and then left a voicemail. She's like, I really need you to come in. Like this has to happen right now. Like you're not well. And I was like, oh, that's great. Like <laughs> exactly what I want to hear first thing in the morning. <laughs> and then she tells me that I'm diabetic. So obviously we, we go into the course of uh, medication and stuff like that. And then eventually after a certain point, the pain still is there. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, why am I still... Like, why can't I get out of bed some mornings? Um, so then eventually she kind of sat there and she, I had said something, I can't quite remember what it was. And it made her raise her eyebrow and then she went, have you spoken to a psychologist before? And I went, no. And she's like, maybe we should do that. So then they had um, a psychologist in house. So I made an appointment with her, told her what my thing, like what was going on in my body. And literally two minutes in, she was like, you're having a pretty severe panic attack, actually. She was like, it's continuous. She's like, you've been literally dealing with it for three months. And I kind of sat there and I was like, great, wonderful. Like, what else could you give me? <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> like, you come, you, like, first I'm diabetic severely and now I have severe depression and anxiety. Like, what else could go wrong really at that point? Like, was kind of like my thought process. And then they put me obviously on antidepressants um, and they worked for a time and then eventually kind of didn't. So we went through like a cycle of them and we could never really get to a place where any of them made me feel okay. So um, eventually I made the decision just to weed myself off and um, was able to do that for quite some time, actually. And it actually worked relatively well. And what I ended up doing instead um, while I was weaning off was I left Alberta and came back to British Columbia to be uh, closer to my family. So I moved in back with my parents for, I think it was like four or five months, I think, or something along those lines. Um, and then eventually brought my dogs over and uh, unfortunately left my ex there all by himself. And I never really like, I feel guilty about this where I, I never really considered his feelings and all of it. It was just, I just need to get better. Uh, and I need whatever I can do to do that. Like, so I needed the dogs. So I took the dogs. And then without even realizing that I basically had left him there all by himself. Um, oh, wait, wait, so did you go, cause I just don't know your life story. Yeah. You went through a divorce in the same moment as well. You just brought in an ex out of nowhere into this story. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I went, no, I was never married to him. We were basically common law, but um, 
I think we were common law by like the government standard, but um, we were we weren't married. So I, we I think ended up marriage point. I meant I meant to say in this. Yeah. You, I, I, what I what I meant to ask was you have this lawsuit found that you had diabetes, found you're having panic attacks, and then you broke up with your boyfriend in the like in the same week. It, yeah, it kind of basically felt like that. Wow. It was uh, it was good fun, and we actually ended up getting a house together too, so that was nice and messy. Um, and the dogs, we also got together, but like, I just went, I want them back here with me. And at that time we were still together. So he, he was such a kind man. He like just basically gave me whatever I wanted. Um, and then, yeah. And then I basically just left him there to fend for himself, like the asshole. Um, but in re after a certain point, he ended up being the asshole at the end of it all. So like, let's not feel too bad for him. He went and found like another girlfriend, like a week before we broke up. So we're even. I think <laughs> I don't judge <laughs> I think I think we're even so I try not to hold him a, a lot of guilt in that but um yeah so that ended up happening basically August and then October rolled around and we went into mediation and I flew into the city for that and um he shows up unprepared no lawyer no nothing uh my civil claims agent basically walks into a room sits down opens his briefcase and stack of papers with like this much like a ton and he literally looked at the mediator and he's like who emails somebody this much in 45 days and I remember sitting there and I'm like those are all the emails because <laughs> I didn't wow. realize how much communication had gone into it like I just I answered emails but like that was just the end of it I didn't realize how much it was until he actually put those papers right here and he's like these are literally he's like I'm not he's like you can go through every single one if you want he's like these are literally communications between these two people and he's like explain to me how that happens in 45 days when that person is not like a complete psychopath basically and um I remember the client said nothing the entire time he just sat there listened while my civil claims agent was going off of whatever points he was making um and then uh I think it was like a maybe after that they were basically like okay well it's either you guys settle out of court or you go to court and uh since Wayne was my friend the civil claims agent he came up to me and he was like well he's like it's really your choice at the end of the day he's like I'm fine with either decision but he, when for him for him to make money it had to be settled out of court because when he goes to court he was like I basically lose money and I kind of sat there, thought about it. And I was like, okay, okay. So then like, that's a good piece of information to know. Um, and then about a week later, I believe it was, the client sent me an email and he's like, I'll give you, I can't remember how much it was. It was less than what he owed. Um, he's like, I'll give you X amount and we'll just call it a day, but you have to give me my site. And I was like, yeah, take everything. I don't care. I just want my cash, right? Um, so I sat there, thought about it. I think I countered and then we eventually got to a place where I was, moderately happy with it and I kind of just wanted it to be over and frankly if I was put in that same position again today I think I probably would just settle out of court and just call it a day because honestly like it just doesn't seem worth it to me like I'd rather get 80% of my cash than to go into court and get the remaining 20 it just doesn't make any sense you mean a few thousand dollars isn't worth the complete destruction of your life <laughs> it, it was but at that point, like, do you really want to put yourself through that mental turmoil even longer? And for me, because I was just already so uh, broken, really, at this point, like, there's no other word for it. I was basically broken at that point that I, I just, I, I wanted to start rebuilding 
and less focus and you know kind of move away from 2016 and move into 2017 on on better grounds uh so for me that decision i don't know i think i would probably make the same decision again today if it really meant my mouth if it's mental health or money i'm gonna choose my mental health really at this point if i'm not good then i'm not, the money what what is it gonna do it's gonna do nothing for me really at that point right so um we ended up settling out of court and that was kind of the end of it i never heard from him ever again um I sometimes when I'm in Edmonton, I'll drive by the place and I'll be like, kind of cursing at him that way. But um, it doesn't happen very often. And yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was an interesting time. But the the end of it all, at the end of the lawsuit, I basically actually ended up packing up my things and went back to Alberta because I refused to let uh, that be my story of why I left. So I was like, if I'm leaving, I'm leaving on my own terms. I'm not leaving because like some asshole made my life a living hell. Like I couldn't, I couldn't live with that. So yeah, I went back and completely crushed it, built an agency and then came home. And that's that's do, uh, the story. <laughs> do uh, Joseph Campbell hear his narrative? Leave a town, crush it, have all these wars, fight the dragons. And you come back to your town, the big, the big victor. So my final question is, let's talk about what you learned from this experience. We shared some of the learnings before and about the red flags in the, um, in, 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 the, in the beginning. And then at the very end, just now you mentioned another important learning to prioritize mental health over, uh, over winning or a few thousand dollars. Other than the, and both are important lessons, other than these two, are there any other important lessons that you want to share? I think the other lessons are one, like slowing down, like that sales process was far too quick. Like I, if I had slowed down, I think I might've seen the flights. I can't guarantee it. Cause like, again, I was 25. I was pretty stupid. I mean, I'm not much smarter now, but like, I feel like I'm just a bit more experienced now that I can kind of figure it out a little bit faster. So I wish I slowed down that sales process. Um, cause that's something that we've even learned even at the agency last year, we, we started working with a client and they were like, we want to get started now. And that was the notion that we had, um, had thought that that was what they wanted. So we were trying to like basically start an account really, really quickly. And then there was a lot of mess ups in between because we didn't slow anything down. We like literally just tried to rail through it. And that relationship completely like fumbled before us. Um, they didn't end up paying like basically any of their invoices aside from like the first one. And then that was the end of it. And again, they, he had the same tendencies where he, he paid right away, all of that stuff. But because I wasn't the one who was in the front seat doing the sales process, I didn't realize what had happened. So it was a really great learning moment for our director to sit there and be like, oh yes, we do need to keep it slow. So now every time he closes a sale, I'm like, this is the cutoff date. Otherwise, we're not doing it until like the following intake. Basically, we have two intakes every single month. Um, and that's been really kind of easy because now if you contact me on March 7th, I'm not starting your accounts until March 15th at the earliest, at the latest, maybe April 1st. And that makes it a lot longer for us to be able to have those conversations um, and really like figure out if we're actually going to be a good fit. So slowing down, I think, is really the big one. I know like as freelancers, uh, especially when we're getting our first few clients, we're just like super duper stoked that we want just like to do the work, prove that we've done well, maybe get a testimonial, get paid and do all these great things. But um, 
and slowing down is obviously not that glamorous, but it really does save you a lot of headache at the end of the day. And really in reality, if you think about it, it might actually make you more money because like the amount of time that I spent on this lawsuit and the amount of time that I like spent crying and in bed and all of these other things, like that was a ton of money. I stopped working for seven months. Like the amount of money that I lost in that seven month period was not worth the $5,000 that he was paying us. Um, so I think really at this point, if I slowed down, it might've made me more money. There's no way for me to know. It's just kind of, a, uh, an assumption that I've made really at this point, or I guess. Um, so yeah, I would say slowing down and then also trust your gut. I think I, I really do feel like my gut was saying something. I think I just ignored it. And I kind of just walked down and went, Hey, money, like, this is what I wanted. And I wanted to go home to my boyfriend and be like, look, I made money today. Like I have a check in my hand. Like I'm not completely useless and I'm not like, you know, a succubus on her income and stuff like that. But like at that moment, I didn't, I didn't see or hear uh, what my mind and my body was trying to tell me. Um, so yeah, I would say those two additional would be like pretty, pretty good things if I could ever tell anybody what, um, what I learned from, from that experience. Both of these are great lessons and they're so good uncharacteristically I have nothing to add to them and they're, <laughs> and they're wise wise observations perfect to end the podcast on um I mean awesome story so many lessons and I'm I'm glad you've survived and recovered and I'm glad that you're open enough to share all the challenges and everything you went through and everyone that's uh watched this to the end I hope you enjoyed it and learned as much as I did and thank you for watching. Thank you for having me.